Comic Book Club News gives you the comic book news you need to know first thing in the morning every weekday in the form of digestible three to five minute long podcasts. Comic Book Club News recaps breaking news stories from Marvel, DC Comics, and beyond Monday through Friday. New episodes drop 6 a.m. ET in the Comic Book Club News feed so they're ready for you when you're ready for the day. Comic Book Club News. You hear it second or third, possibly fourth. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. A graphic novel, a TV show, well it's not TV, it's HBO, and will this thing succeed, and by how much, man? And some might cheer, and some might scoff, because it's Damon Lindelof, but either way we're off to watch some Watchmen. Watching Watchmen Talking Watchmen Analyzing Watchmen And maybe arguing over Watchmen Who watches the Watchmen? We watch Watchmen and our watch is almost ended here on Watchmen Watch. And this is our bonus episode for Watchmen. A God Walks Into a Bar... A bar, episode eight point five. I'm Alex. I'm Pete, and we have a special guest with us this episode. It's Cher Martinetti. She's the founding editor of Sci-Fi Wire Fangirls. Been on our live Woo-hoo. show before. I'm a very big fan of hers. Very excited to have her here. Hi. Hi. Thank you. <laughs> By the way, I just got when you said the name of the episode. Uh huh. The play on words. Yeah. I did not. Oh yeah. Notice it initially. Because I am a smart girl. Well, this is, it's, we've talked about this a bit on the podcast where they put the name of the episode out there months ago at this point. They said it was mm-hmm. a God walks into a bar with the space. And it wasn't until the episode aired that they revealed the actual name uh, that they registered with the WGA and everything was a God walks into a bar as in Cal a bar. Uh, and this is a note that somebody sent us, uh, Justin and I, when we were recapping the last episode, we were talking about, did they come up with the pun first? Were they like, let's do the God walks into a bar thing and then name them Angela Abar and Cal Abar. But actually, uh, a user named at Joe Prague said this, and this blew my mind. There's a 1977 movie called Abar, the first black Superman. Wow. Shut up. Yeah. Are you serious? Yeah, it's a real God, movie. I love this show. I That just made me love this show and this episode even more. And I gotta tell you, like, full disclosure, I didn't really care about Watchmen that much. Mm, wow. Up until take. this show. Well, this is the first question that I actually wanted to ask you. Uh, what... Hit me. So you... You've read the graphic novel. You've read the comic book series. No. Okay. So you, Okay, so here's the thing. I was, I'm aware. I've been aware of Watchmen. I am... I like to say I'm a bad geek because <laughs> I don't I don't like or try to know everything about everything. 
I appreciate people's fandom for things. Um, but I'm also the kind of person that some stuff I've been a fan of since I was a little kid and some stuff is very much new to me. And I, I like that there are things that I don't know and I haven't discovered yet. And I think Watchmen has been one of those things that I knew of it. I knew about the movie. I, I think for me, I kind of didn't really get into it because of some stuff about the movie that was super problematic that I knew existed in the graphic novel. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know, like with, uh, like with rape and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I figured that's what <laughs> you're just, talking about yeah. is the sexual it's really assault. Not, yeah. It's not really something that makes me be like, Oh my God, I can't wait to read this. Mm-hmm. Um, so I appreciate that my appreciation for the Watchmen is actually through this show. Mm-hmm. Like I, I just wanted to watch this show because I heard it was so well done and it had, I had like no preconceived notions. I had no expectations. I was not somebody that was like coming to, into this as a fan and was like, Oh, this isn't how it's supposed to be. I knew enough to know that this was supposed to be a continuation mm-hmm. and more than a, a reimagining or a reboot. So, so well, well, so yeah. then what was your initial impression of the show coming in in the first episode? And in particular, as it started to weave in these Watchmen things, Laurie Blake, Adrian Veidt, mm. et cetera, et cetera, did it feel like a wall to you or were you intrigued no. enough to find out more? For me, all of the science fiction and the comic book and the geek stuff that I like I always tend to gravitate towards things that are just really good stories that happen to be about superheroes or happen to be about aliens or whatever. So I think that's why, like, I love Christopher Nolan's Batman trilogy. I was keenly aware of Batman prior to that. I I grew up watching, you know, the animated series. Like, I would come home after school and watch it. So I was aware, obviously, like, everybody knows Batman. But I didn't really read the comics um, but I loved Nolan's trilogy because if you took that story and made just, it was just a good story regardless about whether or not it was about Batman. And I feel my favorite Marvel movies are kind of the same thing. Like they're good stories that just happen to be about superheroes. The ones that I like the best. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> and I think that's why I really like this series because first of all it is the acting is fucking phenomenal (laughs) the writing is so i love the writing so much i love how they take these real life instant like things that actually happened in history and tell these stories like i don't know about you but i don't know many people that learned about what happened to black wall street and you know in in sign in uh social studies class in school. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. you just like, you didn't really learn about that, you know? And I think it's one of my favorite things about science fiction and about geek genre is that it's a great tool and vessel for telling these really important stories sometimes that like, I think people are more receptive and open to hearing about because of the space it's being told in. Yeah. And I think Watchmen is exemplifying that, completely 
That's awesome. Yeah. That's a, Thanks. That's really cool that like <laughs> you get to experience. My glasses make me the, smart. No, sorry. <laughs> no, I'm just. I think it's awesome that you're experiencing the TV show first, and uh, and it's because it's very much like an updated version. You know, it's kind yeah. of frustrating to go back and read it and be like. Oh, fuck, you know, but it's nice to have something that is mind blowing, that is powerful and everybody else can enjoy it as well. Yeah. And I and listen, like I know enough, like, listen, I'm not I'm a type of person like I'll go do my homework. So I know enough to know what's been changed. Mm -hmm. I think that changing hooded justice and making him a black man that was masquerading as a white man is fucking brilliant because that make that character makes so much more sense. That backstory for why mm-hmm. he became Hooded Justice and why his his outfit is what it is makes so much more sense in in this telling, you know? And I just think... I, I think it's been updated and it's so timely and it's so smart the way it's being done. And it's actually kind of spooky how (laughs) fucking timely this show is and i think that's also another thing that i tend to super gravitate towards is whenever a a genre property comes out and it's as timely as it is it's almost timeless too yeah you know and i think this show is that well to your point this is something that we talked about a couple of episodes back with the uh Oh, gosh, I'm blanking on the name of it. But the sixth episode, the one that was the flashback to Hooded Justice, where they first revealed Cyclops. And they were talking about how the Cyclops symbol is taking that OK symbol and putting it on your head to make it look like an eye. When they were developing it in the writer's room, they just thought, okay, what? how can we say that there's an eye on the head, that this Cyclops symbol, what would that look like? And it was that OK. And it wasn't until later after they had already decided that on the writer's room and written that down, that it started to come out, oh, that's a symbol of the alt-right, that they make yeah. that okay symbol. And that's exactly. nuts. Like the- and I, I wonder how many people that are watching, and I don't mean to cut you off, but like yeah. we know that because because of our jobs. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like we are supposed to know, you know, backstories and whatever, but also we spend so much time on the internet. And you can't exist on Twitter and be in media regardless of what what you cover in media and not kind of absorb everything. So it's like, I think we know that because we have to, and because of our jobs, I wonder how many people at home that are just the casual fan that happened upon the show and thought it was good and kept watching it. Just don't even know about those two truths, you know? Yeah. Well, I think it's been, it's been a teaching show as well to the point that you're making that uh, yeah. not just about the Tulsa massacre, but about a lot of other things. And I mean, this ties into a lot of the theories that we've talked about with the end of the show, where I, I keep bringing up this point that's very poorly worded that I feel like in a certain way that it's heading towards some sort of solve for racism, that the same way the comic book was about figuring out how to stop nuclear annihilation. If the existential threat that Damon Lindelof is dealing with is racism, how do you solve that? Or how would a super genius like Adrian Veidt or Lady True or whoever it is figure out how to stop racism? And I think by doing that, they're teaching people along the way that they're essentially they're giving empathy for these things, that there are people 
particularly a big geek audience, frankly, who has no idea about these racial issues, who are finding out for them for the first time through the Trojan horse of watching a Watchmen show. Yeah, <laughs> I'm I am like one of those people that I'm like secretly very emotional, which I guess is not a secret now that I just <laughs> now the whole world knows on about a podcast. It. I know there's like millions of you guys have millions, millions, of right? millions. I don't know Biggest about podcasts that. out there, <laughs> but I I one of the things that makes me super emotional in my job is seeing people that are not white react to something because they feel heard and seen mm-hmm. like seeing anyone feel recognized and seeing how it impacts them like and it overwhelms them and and I love experiencing that because I feel like everyone should feel seen and heard, mm-hmm. you know? So I, I, one of my favorite things about the show has been watching geeks of color that of course know these stories and seeing how they are almost, I don't want to say rejoicing, but I think there's this celebration in the fact that these stories are being told and how they're being told because I feel like I feel like there's been a lot of care in how these are being told. And this isn't like there's a white savior, really, because, mm-hmm. yes, I get like, you know, Adrian's the super genius. Right. But his his plan is not about racism. His is to stop humankind from being faulted and in our innate need to destroy Mm -hmm. Right. That's his overall plan, because it was to stop the war and the whole nine. But to see Dr. Manhattan represented as a man of color is just, I think, fantastic. Mm -hmm. You know, like I, I just love everything about that. And I love seeing how the main protagonist is a woman of color. Mm hmm. You know, and and I I just love seeing how that is affecting people of color in a positive way. They're geeks or fans of this. The there's been two. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Pete. I was just we forgot Pete's here. Hey, Pete. How's it going? (laughs) But I also to get back to what you're saying a little bit, Zalbs. Like they also, uh, you know, answer the question: uh, Who came? What came first, chicken or the egg? Yes. Right. Great. Thank you for bringing that up. They're they're answering a lot of things in this show. Yes, yeah. <laughs> all the big questions. All the big questions. <laughs> the thing that I was going to say, though. Well, do they answer it or do they go make waffles? I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> what came first, the chicken or the egg? It's go make waffles. That's yeah. that's the exactly. third choice that nobody I mean, ever that's talks the about. Most important. <laughs> uh, to your point, though, Cher, uh, the the thing that's been kind of fascinating in terms of the discussion of this is there are parts of the history, like the Tulsa massacre, like you were saying, mm-hmm. that most white people have not heard about in any way. And it's very illuminating in terms of that. Or the Hooded Justice flashback episode is incredibly searing in terms of racism and the history of racism in America and inherited trauma. But in a very different way, this last episode, the eighth episode, and I saw a lot of people talking about this on Twitter in particular, that it was a love story between two black leads that was not about them being black meant no. so much to so many people. I know because, like, and we talk about this a lot on our podcast. So we have a podcast for fangirls called strong female characters. And we often talk about how, you know, sometimes a challenge being a woman and with, uh, 
any property that is female led or female created or whatnot, how we wish it could just exist as a thing and not have to be about the fact that it's female led Mm -hmm. or about women or (laughs) female director. Right. And I think this episode is a shining example of where a thing, it, it doesn't have to be about the fact that it's two people of color that this story is about. Mm-hmm. First of all, I fucking cried from this episode. Yeah. Oh, wow. Wait, what, <laughs> like, what, what was, when yeah. did you cry? Was it the, the line that I've seen everybody repeat is the, this is the moment line. Yes. That's yes, the one. Yes. Yeah. This is the moment <laughs> that is like, that goes in my bank of things like, you know, the hand gesture and pride and prejudice, like that goes in the bank for like all time. Like, oh, that is such like, it just, oh my God, I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about it. (laughs) There's, it's crazy that you could have a show like this that for me, the big moment, which we talked about a couple of episodes back in the podcast is that last moment at the end of episode seven, when the blue glow comes on Angela's face and she says, Hey baby, Mm -hmm. we're in fucking trouble, which to me was the encapsulation of their entire relationship in one line and one shot. And I thought that was one of the most stunning things we've ever seen. And then the very next episode, we get another moment that is exactly like that, that again, subs up their entire relationship in such a beautiful way. It's, it's amazing what the show is doing and it's, it's, it's so good. And like, like I'm not a fan of flashbacks, like flashback episodes. This flashback episode was so fucking well done. And the way they have managed to play with, like timelines and time, which is so essential for Watchmen, mm-hmm. you know, because of how it talks about how time is relative and a construct, which is literally the theme of everything. But the way they do it is so smart. And this episode was so well done. It managed to give, we got multiple backstories in this season and it doesn't feel like mm-hmm. we like I don't know. It just doesn't feel like we got, you know, like it wasn't intentional. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like, you know how like an origin story movie is like, oh, okay. Like we're going to hear yeah. about like Batman's parents again. Or like, yeah, we know how Spider-Man became Spider-Man. Like this, it's like, you know, fans of Watchmen know this back, their backstories. Mm-hmm. But I think even for fans of Watchmen, because some of these characters are new and they didn't exist in the, in the comics, you know? And I think for the ones that did exist, I just think all of it's very interesting because it's kind of showing how they got where they are yeah. while explaining who they are. Well, I think to the, this is to the credit of the comic that there's this incredible template that Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons set up where you can have these individual focused issues that do flash back through the history of the characters, but it's always in service of the ongoing plot, in service of the ongoing mystery, in service of the ongoing themes and ideas that they're moving across. And in lesser hands, that wouldn't have worked at all because that's a nearly impossible Mm -hmm. amount of things to be balancing at the same time. But they clearly put in the work, made sure that every single line is important, is doing these things. Because even though we're finding out it could have been like, and here's what Dr. Manhattan has been up to since the Watchmen comic book. Yeah. But that's not what it's about. It's about filling in this information that we need to know right now that impacts exactly what's happening in our present that is going to impact the future of what's about to happen in, I don't know, at this point, an hour or whenever they're turning on the Millennium Clock. Uh, and that's, that's great. 
Yeah. Uh, Pete, do you, you weren't on the recap episode other than the chicken and egg thing. Is there anything you wanted to mention? Anything you took away? No, I was just, it's really, um, you know, like she's saying it, it's not formulaic in what it's doing. Uh, for me, the, I fell into with the comic book, especially the second time rereading it. Like it, you kind of see, okay, this is a pattern that they do with the show. It really is, feels very organic and unique. Uh, and it's fun to be like, what am I going to get with this episode? And it really delivered, uh, a love story in a way that, uh, you know, uh, someone who you see a ton of these movies, it's just like, you know, it was really interesting and, and powerful. It was. It just keeps getting better, and I'm. I really wanted to stick the landing. Yeah, it was really like the "Remember Me" of superhero stories. I would say <laughs> <laughs> that's a terrible reference. I've never seen "Remember Me," <laughs> and uh, I don't think I'm missing anything about that. No, that's okay. That's yeah. that's another one you don't. It's fine. You don't need to see that. <laughs> uh, I'm sure. Tell you what, let's move on. I'm sure there's a lot of other things we're going to talk about, particularly when we get to everybody's theories at the end of the episode. Uh, folks sent in stuff on Twitter with questions. But before we get to that, I want to talk about Pedipedia. Pedipedia is the back matter that HBO puts up that fleshes out what's going on. And there were two really big ones that they put up right after this episode. Uh, the first one is called Memo Fog Dancing, and the second one is Clipping Nothing Ever Ends December 2005. Now, the first one I'll mention, I, I'll just run through some things, and then I want to get your impressions and thoughts uh, from both of you, what you took away from these. Uh, there's Fog Dancing is a book that we've seen pop up a bunch of different times throughout the Watchmen series. People are reading it. I think uh, Cal was reading it at one point. Um, I'm forgetting who else was reading it, but definitely Adrian Veidt was reading it in prison in the post credit scene at the end of the last episode. This is a book by a guy named Max Shea. Max Shea was one of the writers behind the squid attack on New York City. Essentially, Adrian Veidt hired a bunch of artists and writers and other people, and Max Shea was this very prominent writer who we got to see in the Watchmen comic book and ultimately, he was killed when Adrian Veidt loaded everybody onto a ship for a party to celebrate finishing what they thought was a film project, and then he killed all of them. So that's where he was last seen. Uh, but we find out much more about this book, both through a memo from Agent Petey, uh, Agent Dale Petey, and also an essay that he wrote back in 2005 about fog dancing. The biggest thing that I think we could take away from this is that I'm not just convinced, but 100% sure now that Agent PD is Lube Man. Yes! Welcome! Yeah. Welcome! <laughs> I always I say I don't know was. who that yeah, is, so I want to hear about this, but can I just say, like, I think this is... Wait, 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 did you just say you didn't... So smart. You didn't know who know Lube Man was? No, I think He's the biggest character the in the series. Like, okay, the this whole is show Pete, is built This is actually him. from the TV show. Oh, Pete my is God. obsessed. Lube Man. Lube. Wait, was that the guy that slid yes. in the sewer? Okay. Okay. Yeah. I didn't, you know, I didn't know if that was like what that was. Cause it's like, Oh, that thing happened. And what the fuck? Yep, exactly. Um, but I just really quickly want to say that I love that HBO is doing this whole PDpedia thing. Cause I think this is like such a smart way. They're building their own universe mm -hmm. within a universe. Yeah. You know, it's, I think it's so smart. It feels like something it, 
I don't know if you guys remember back in the day, but when uh, Damon Lindelof was doing Lost, they had a lot of uh, AR alternate reality games that were running on the side that were supposed to flesh out the world of Lost. I was super into Lost. I tried playing those, and I did not understand for the life of me what was going on, and they didn't seem to affect the action at all. It almost feels like he's learned a little bit of a lesson from that for this Pedia stuff, where he's like, yeah, this actually will flesh out the information. This will add to the experience, rather this, than just be an extra thing. And it also Can I make really a confession? Oh, yeah, what's your confession? I never watched Lost. <laughs> <laughs> I told you, I'm a bad geek. Yeah. No, that's okay. <laughs> Love it, right? Yeah. You, this, I'll tell you what. Uh, weirdly, uh, to be perfect transparency, you say you didn't watch Lost hurts a lot more than uh, not reading Watchmen. <laughs> that's just where I'm at right now emotionally. I'm just putting it out there. I'm just like, I don't know. I'm very... When did Lost come out? It came out in like what? Like the t- like the 2000s, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. I, think... I was too busy going out to clubs and doing really bad things. <laughs> Good for so, you. Good for you. I was Lost. <laughs> Yeah. She there was living the show. Alternate realities, the whole <laughs> shit. I don't know what happened. Uh, but I, to me, this feels like, um, you know, with the uh, the comics and graphic now, the back matter that they would have, it's just rewarding people for putting into work to do the extra reading, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So I love anything that gets people to read. Yeah. yeah. I'm serious. I, I like, I love that because mm-hmm. I think, I think that so many people, They'll be like, oh, my God, this show is so great, so great. But it's like, listen, like all these things that are so great starts with the writers that wrote it, you know? Mm-hmm. So anytime like people are reading more stuff, like, cool, like give those writers even more credit because they're the ones that are literally building the foundation for this. So, yeah. I'm biased. Nothing wrong with that. We should all get paid more. (laughs) Very quick for the the Lube Man clues, and then I'll get to a couple of Mm -hmm. other things about these documents. Um, So there's two things that are going on. One, he mentions what a fog dancer is in his essay. A fog dancer, which the title Fog Dancing takes from, uh, is this this is the line that he writes in his essay about this book. See him now in your mind's eye, moving through boiling clouds of sunset haze, wearing his gas mask and skin-tight silver suit, yep. shimmering with SPF 666, looking slick and doing what's must be done in secret to keep you and me and all of us free. And then in the document where he's talking about fog dancing and a bunch of other things, which we'll get to in a moment, he mentions that this essay, and in particular getting reamed on this essay by the uh, editors of Nothing Ever Ends, who ranked him 50 out of 50 for not really following the assignment, he says, that's my origin story. So if we take Lori Blake's idea that all origin stories are built out of trauma, which he said a couple of episodes back, the most traumatic thing for Dale Peaty was getting a bad review on his essay that he wrote about his favorite book, Fog Dancing. And so he decided to put on a silver suit and rub himself down in suntan lotion and slip and slide all over the place. Well, it makes sweet. So, so you think that Detective Peaty is lube? Yeah. Yes, obviously. Okay. He's got the physique for it. But also, if you think about it, though, a little bit like in that in his defense, like that's his favorite book. Like he wrote this out of, you know, passion and to get a bad grade has to be super painful. Mm -hmm. I mean, listen, Hitler supposedly was a failed artist and that's why he became. (laughs) No, it's true. If he had. I mean, I'm I'm being serious. I'm not trying to be funny. Like, 
you know, so stranger, it's not like it wouldn't, ha- it couldn't happen. Mm-hmm. I don't know. If uh, Hitler had read fog dancing, maybe he would have become lube man. He, maybe he would have. <laughs> <laughs> Pete loves these jokes. Pete loves it when I make a joke about Hitler. Uh, the, uh, <laughs> the other big thing to probably mention is he starts off the fog dancing memo. Uh, and this clearly, he is writing this memo after the finale of Watchmen. And he writes, the morning after the calamity in Greenwood, the dust is settled, but our nerves have not. Martial law remains in effect throughout the city as hazmat teams continue to collect the remains of unidentified subjects number one and two. The conspicuous absence of redacted and redacted gives us an indication as to the identity of the remains, but given their condition, DNA testing will be required. While the other corpses are intact and once removed from the wreckage, should be more readily identified. And he worries that one of them might be Agent Blake, who he hasn't seen in 36 hours. Uh, What do you take away from this? There's not a lot of clues necessarily here, but what do you think this indicates in terms of the finale of Watchmen? You know, I don't know because I had read, because I went onto the Watchmen Reddit and I had read that a lot of fans think that Looking Glass and Rorschach, which I always fuck up. It's hard to say. say Rorschach. Right? Yeah. Rorschach. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Rorschach. Okay. Because yeah. it's not spelled the way it's pronounced at all. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's a Rorschach. A lot of people Rorschach. said that. He, yeah. Yeah. A lot of people said they said that he seems very similar to him, not just in the fact of like what his costume is, but also in his personality. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. Like now I'm kind of wondering because it's like, listen, if, if Angela's husband could be Dr. Manhattan. You know, like, who's to say that Looking Glass isn't somehow related to or has something to do with Warshak? Mm, yeah. Because it basically, like, these, these white, these racists, like, co-opted his look, right? Because in the, in the comics, that's not what he stood for. Mm-hmm. Am I wrong? It, it's, they're an extreme extrapolation of his philosophy, which edges on alt-right, but never fully goes into that. So he's basically like the Ayn Rand of a Watchman. Yes, absolutely. Okay. <laughs> I mean, my main theory at this point is I think, I don't know, I don't know if this is too fanficy, but I do feel like we could see Looking Glass, if he survives all this, become the new Rorschach, essentially reappropriate yeah. that identity. I think that would be an interesting direction to go. Yeah, because it seemed like, especially his last conversation with Angela it seemed like he felt so betrayed and it's like the whole time. I think one of the great things that this show has been doing, it's like, it's always been kind of like subtly setting you up for something. Like it's been dropping hints Mm -hmm. as to who Cal was, you know, which when you like, if you're me, (laughs) know nothing, you don't realize it until the reveal that all of a sudden you're like, Oh my God. Right. So I feel like, after having that moment where it's like, oh, all these other little things now just like jump out, you know, mm-hmm. and, and make sense to me. And I feel like Blake might be that same situation because I think that I think the fact that, you know, the seventh Calvary was so taking such an interest in him. There has to be a reason for that. I don't think it's because he's native to Tulsa or, mm-hmm. you know, a southerner. Um, I think the weird idiosyncrasies that 
like about his behavior. There's a reason why they want us to know that story. Mm-hmm. I think um, in the beginning, he felt like he could be a little sketchy. You know, you felt yep. like because he was so tight with, you know, the captain and, and you're like, you almost don't know if you trust him. And then when everything comes to light about the captain, you start questioning Blake because they seemed so tight. So I, I, I don't I don't disagree with that theory. It's my really long way of saying that. Another couple of... You're like, shut up. No, 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 no. no. I I agree with that. Uh, One little correction, though. Uh, Agent Laurie Blake is Agent Blake. That's uh, Gene Smart's character. Oh, my God. I'm so sorry. I'm thinking of Looking Glass. But Looking Glass is definitely in there. Like, they kind of... They refer to him. He talks about his whereabouts and is very vague about it in this memo as well. But I will throw out, I think... Uh, my theory I, is I totally the two I don't know why. bodies that they find, the unidentified subjects number one and two, I think it's probably Cal and Angela, like, or Dr. Manhattan and Angela. I think we got a hint of that in the last episode where we saw their shadows were like, this is a riff from the book, uh, were the Hiroshima lovers, the, the piles of ash that are left on walls after the Hiroshima bomb dropped and the Nagasaki bomb dropped. And I think that's foreshadowing that they're not going to make it out of this. Um, I think that also considering that, you know, the whole scene with her explaining like how those John Doe's, those, those people that don't have any family are just going to be ashes over Saigon. Mm-hmm. I think that would kind of yeah. be a foreshadowing as well. But then there's this. He does say that if he were to transfer his matter mm-hmm. to another person with their consent, that they would also have his powers. So I wonder if he transferred some matter because he's been having sex with Angela yeah. for 10 years. Like in what way does he have to transfer it? But I wonder if if something like that type of situation happens where he somehow passes powers on to her and she maybe doesn't realize she has them yet. I have this idea that got stuck in my head today about this that I kind of hate and I hope it doesn't happen. <laughs> but okay. no, I can't. Wait oh, to don't, it. don't put some out. If this comes true, man. Oh, no, do well, it, do I'll it, explain do why it. I kind of Especially hate it a little whole, bit. I hate this. <laughs> well, I hate this because so there's been a recurring theme through the entire show from the very first episode. They hit it pretty hard in, I want to say, the fourth or fifth episode, and they've continued it throughout of eggs and eggs hatching. And even in the last one, like Pete was talking about, there was the what came first, the chicken or the egg. And then watch the eggs when he's making. Right, exactly. And the first time we see Angela, she's cracking open the eggs and making the smiley face. So it could just be a recurring visual. But if you were potentially going to transfer your powers as Dr. Manhattan to something else, could it make sense that she's pregnant at the end? That actually that egg gets fertilized? The reason I kind of hate that is I don't love the idea of the ultimate resolution being the main female character needs to get pregnant. Uh, but I don't know. I don't know. It could be. Um, I don't know if I think she's pregnant. I don't know if I think that, Yeah, but I think that there is something to the egg thing. I don't know what it is. I mean, they did um, go out of their way to talk about it pretty hard. 
Well, yeah. Well, they did have. Uh, you pointed this out a couple of episodes back, Pete. Will Reeves was eating a bunch of hard-boiled eggs nonstop. Yeah. So maybe they're Doctor Manhattaned up eggs or something like that. <laughs> um, I don't know. Is it wrong for me to say that the second because you know I haven't seen like we haven't seen Louis Gossett Jr. and something in forever, but the second he opened his mouth, I knew it was him, and I decided in my head that this was Chappie. <laughs> Iron Eagle. Yeah. <laughs> Chappie. You will forever be Chappie. And I've just decided that Chappie is now in the Watchmen. Oh, that's a canon now. Uh, yeah, it's canon. The, the Another couple of things about the PDP. <laughs> you have to be I, over 35 to get that <laughs> reference. Sorry. Uh, another couple of things about the PDPedia files. Uh, the story itself, the way that uh, he describes it, there seems to be strong parallels to the original Watchmen story. There's a character that seems a lot like Night Owl. There's a character that seems a lot like Laurie Blake, a.k.a. Silk Spectre. There's a character that seems like the comedian. Uh, and they all suffer an alien attack. The interesting thing about that with the timeline is the way that uh, Fog Dancing was published in 1972 and what happened in Watchmen happened in 1985 slash 1986, even if they were working on the plan for a while. So it almost feels like either Adrian Veidt read this story and this is where he came up with the idea for the alien attack or there is some sort of plan that predates Adrian Veidt's plan is what I took away from this. But... That all said, those were my takeaways. Was there anything additional that either of you read into either of these documents or thought was interesting? Well, I just... I'm not... Sorry, go. No, no, you go. go. No, go. (laughs) So polite. Stop being so polite. (laughs) Well, I I really like this whole idea of two origin stories uh, that kind of like they touch upon. And I think that's like... uh, Something that is uh, kind of hinted at, but it's nice to see that it's like pointed out purposefully. Um, and just also the way the uh, the kind of expert excerpt ends with the, uh, you know, stole the gun. You know, what choice did I have? You know, that kind of like the powerful of like. That's what's also so nice about the show is we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know what's really precious. And so like the the violence of like how that ends and like the way this could go is, is nice to see that kind of cohesion. Cher, what were you going to say about these? I wasn't so much about the Pedipedia entry. It was more about what you were saying about how, um, a lot of this seems very, it's starting to feel very reminiscent of the original Watchmen stories, Mm -hmm. right. And the Watchmen characters, and the first thing that popped into my head in that moment when you said that is from a different show that happens to be one of my all-time favorites, Battlestar Galactica, mm-hmm. where they basically say that this everything has happened before and will happen again. And I think one of the reasons I love, and that, that line resonates so much with me, is because that's humanity, right? Like, that's we're always doing the same shit over and over again. Like we just, you know, so it's like, yeah, maybe, maybe this is like a playbook off of the original Watchmen story, or maybe it's just the reason why it feels that way is because this is the same shit that (laughs) we always keep, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Like, even if you go back through old 
Superman stories or old, like, you know, everybody says how, like, you know, Captain America, like, so much about him seems so timely now, but it's like, because it's the same shit, like, humans are always doing the same shit. We're always trying to blow each other up, just like Adrian Voigt, Voigt. I can't say his name either. <laughs> they got to make these <laughs> names simpler. I think that's Listen, the main this thing. is my fault, because I, when I'm talking, in, like, in front of people, I fuck up pronunciations, even though I know exactly how to say it <laughs> in my head when I like read it. Like I'm like, I'm saying it right. But Adrian says the same thing about how, you know, they're like, we have to keep building bombs. Right. He says like, Oh, he's like these, like they have to keep building their fucking bombs. And I think, I think it's like those little moments and the way they're playing with time and there's multiple themes happening here. It's not just with the racism thing. It's it's also with I mean racism thing. I'm not saying that yeah, like it's that casual, but thing. it's not just yeah that little nugget. Like <laughs> it's not just racism, which has never been dealt with, and is finally being addressed more honestly now. But it's still not being dealt with. But I think it's all of these things, mm-hmm. right? It's everything. It's it's the bombs. It's wanting to kill each other. It's it's religion. It's it's ideology. It's all of it. Mm. Right. So I feel like this could be something totally different. It just feels similar. Yeah. Yeah. I think I'm, I'm so nervously excited about this last episode to see how they finish it because it does feel like whatever it, I mean, obviously, but whatever it is, it's going to be the final statement on the series. It's going to be their summary of uh, what they need to say. You know, if the first episode was the thesis statement, this is going to be their conclusion. And it really is, I believe, going to bring it back. But I'm I'm nervous to see what that conclusion will be. I'm confident they're going to stick the landing, but I don't know. We'll see what happens. But uh, with, the, with the promo, th- there's so much to wrap up in one episode. That's what I'm mm-hmm. nervous about now. Well, let's talk about that then. So the episode nine promo, the title of the episode is See How They Fly. There's a couple of things there, and I'm sure we'll talk about this more on the recap episode once we actually see the episode. But first of all, I feel like the see how they fly, that certainly implies, uh, not to pat myself on the back, but that certainly implies the big theory that I've been pushing, which is that we're going to kind of get everybody getting superpowers. Uh, My current theory is if the Seventh Cavalry want to all become Dr. Manhattans, what Lady True is going to do is she's going to make everybody else into Dr. Manhattan. So it's all even across the board. So it could be this, that could be the calamity of the Cubs is not just a dozen racists flying around, but hundreds of people with superpowers all at once. The other thing about see where they fly is that's a lyric from Lucy in the sky from the Beatles, which is also where the Eggman comes from and I have the walrus and all of these other things. So lots of stuff going on there. Uh, there's a couple of images I pulled out for the promo and Pete curious to hear you talk about some of them. Uh, but we see someone is approaching Kardak in the snow in a snowsuit. We see the millennium clock being turned on. Dr. Manhattan is imprisoned. Angela is crying. Joe Creed Jr. seems to be in the intrinsic field generator, naked, ready to be turned into a Dr. Manhattan. You see them turning on the machine. It explodes. And then the last bit, which I also think is worth talking about, is it says the season finale. It doesn't say the series finale. And yeah. A lot of people have been asking this question. Right. I was actually literally going to ask you, like, do you think there's going to be a second season? Because, like, I know that... I definitely he says 
maybe not. But it's like no way. Yeah. How are you not having a second season? Well, it's so definitely. I, I wonder. It's definitely the HBO promo department is like, no, you got to keep doing this shit. This is going really well. <laughs> well yeah, we're getting a lot of ratings, you guys. HBO Max is coming up. We got to feed that beast. Um, but I don't know. I th- I think if they have a good idea, if they have a strong idea and a way they want to do it, I think they'll figure out a way to do it. Yeah. Uh, but Pete, any of those images that jumped out to you? Anything you wanted to talk about from the promo? Other it's than just what I mentioned? A- it's just an insane, like, usually when we get a promo, it's a, like, you you get some slow moments, but they just jammed everything in kind of in this, like, oh, shit, look at all that still has to be done. Look at all the things that happen. I, I don't know how to feel about any of it, because sometimes if you're, like, if you try to write the episode with the images, it can really uh, pull you out. Of the episode, so I'm trying not to think about it too much and trying not to overexamine. So I'm purposely yeah. not trying to engage with that. Well, I sort of skipped over this a little bit, but to, to get back to the season two, what's your take, Cher? Do you think they're going to do a season two? I, I think there's no way they can't do a season two because there's no possible way they are going to wrap up everything (laughs) that could potentially be going on in one episode. There's no way. Mm -hmm. And I feel like, no, I feel like they have to do a season two. They have to, I feel like they're literally just scratching the surface and they're just, we're just finding out who these characters are and like what's going on. You don't take seven episodes or eight episodes for that. And then be like, okay, now we're going to wrap it up in one and final episode. Like get out of here. Yeah. There's no way. Well, this gets into one of the questions we got, and thank you for the amazing segue there. Uh, but uh, John George <laughs> uh, wrote and on Twitter and said, what was, is, had a couple of questions. We'll get to the last one first, but he says, uh, what was that about walking on water? Also, Manhattan made clear that he freely gave someone his powers. Is that going to factor into the final episode? And what are the chances of zero cliffhangers? So let's start with the, what are the chances of zero cliffhangers? To that point, they've been pretty clear from the front. Damon Lindell has said this, is that this is a complete season. Like, whatever the story is, this is not a setup for a season two or anything like that. But to your point, Cher, I think the world continues. We know that from PD's Medbo that it does continue and there are still things happening in the world. So there still will be things that we could follow in a season two, but I don't think it would be the sort of thing where it's like, and now Angela is missing and the whole team's got to get together to find her or anything like that. You know, uh, Pete, what's your take? Yeah. Or sure. Yeah. I don't have, I want to hear Pete. First. Pete well, go for I, it. I, yeah. I just <laughs> think there's no, yeah, like she was saying earlier, there's no way to kind of wrap it all up or to set up a season two. And I don't want them to. I really want it to be like what it is and not try to do anything that would just make you, oh, tune in next time to find out everything we've set up. Um, I I don't know. I just, I, my mind's kind of blown with the possibilities and the fact that mm. like, are we going to see like how, I mean, just like that whole Voigtland and the, all those bodies, like how is that also going to be tied up in that whole courtroom drama as well as all the stuff with earth, you know? 
I mean, there's no way he's digging himself out of that cell with a horseshoe in one episode. <laughs> <laughs> but, well, time is relative, right. so I don't know. But I think another thing that just popped into my head. Okay, so let's look at Star Wars. Let's look at the OG trilogy. A New Hope ended that story. Mm-hmm. It did not feel like, and then there's more, right? Like, if you only ever had A New Hope, that's fine. There was a resolution to the story. That chapter was complete. I think the same thing can be done with this, mm-hmm. where this season can be this story, this chapter resolved, and there still be a second season that is another chapter in the story. Because mm-hmm. it's like you won the battle, but there's a war. Ooh. <laughs> yeah, I, that's how I, I, I think you're absolutely right there. I think that's the direction we go. The The bigger question in my mind is what, and I guess we'll see where it leaves off, but what thematically do they tackle? Is it another season that delves into the history of race in America? Does it deal with sexuality? Does it deal with religion? Does it become issue-based in a different way each season? Or does that become repetitive? And I guess we don't really know until we know what that final statement is at the end of the day. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't think, uh, I don't think they're going to wrap up and solve racism <laughs> in nine episodes. Right. You know, like I think there's going to be, you know, I mean, listen, like all these issues, whether it's racism, homophobia, xenophobia, you know, religious, religion, whatever, it's all these conflicts. They're literally hydras. You know, you're going to, I've called every single pop culture geek reference into this. I just want to point that out, Um, but it it is, it's literally hydra, right? You, you cut one head off and another one takes its place. And so even whatever comes of this episode, there's going to be someone that is going to take the place of the seventh Calvary, you know, like it's just, like, hey, we have fucking Nazis now that, you know, so it's like, it's not going anywhere anytime soon. Yeah. So I think that, again, I'm kind of repeating myself, but I really think that we are going to get a resolution to what this specific chapter is, but I, this is not going to be, well, this can't be, I listen, hire me, HBO. I will write the second <laughs> season. Uh, I do want to say, though, you talked to you don't think they're going to wrap up racism in one season. I'm willing to stick with the show until, you know, you know, the racism is, you know, wrapped up. So however many seasons it takes, I'm in it. Yeah. Uh, If only people did that in real life, too. Yes. We we have a five season plan to end racism (laughs) on this show. I mean, how uh, could just you the, say no to that pitch? Say the three white people? Yeah. yeah. We it. It's like, what is that? Go ahead. <laughs> uh, John George's other question is, though, what was that about walking on water? I believe he's specifically referring to the fact that he tells Angela that it's important for her to see him walking on water for later, or it's important for the kids to see him walking on water for later. And I do think that ties mm-hmm. into the next thing, which we talked about. Also, Manhattan made clear that he gave freely uh, some of his powers. Is that going to factor into the final episode? And I think both of those things are tied together, that somebody is Mm -hmm. going to need to walk on water. It's one of either those kids or Angela. Certainly the popular theory is Topher in some way. Yeah, there's been a thing with Topher this whole time. So 
maybe he transferred his his powers to Topher. Yeah, he's been feeding him a you lot know, of pancakes like, and waffles and stuff, so it's possible. That's true. Yeah, that's true. Who knows where they get those eggs from? I don't know mm-hmm. if they're, are they organic? Like, where are they sourced? <laughs> I just thought he Did was. You just make them with his bomb? I just thought he was calling back the fact that she was like, what do you walk on water? And he was just kind of taking a moment to be like, yeah, yeah, I do. Like you talked about in the bar. <laughs> yeah. Uh, just like a total dick. I don't dick. think that was it. Yeah, yeah he's just, like, yeah. hey, remember when it's he like, said this? Eat yeah, your yeah, face. What I'm doing over here, huh? Read the room, buddy. I don't think now's the time for that. I do love, though, how they kind of thumb their nose at Catholicism and Christianity Mm -hmm. with Dr. Manhattan, with the whole, like, there is no heaven. Like, that doesn't exist. Like, there is no before. And then he's walking on water. He's creating this perfect earth, and he created life and the whole nine. But at the same time, he's saying how, like, Religion's bullshit. Right. You know, which I... Go ahead. <laughs> it is. I mean, that's but that's that's just me being a heathen. Go ahead. You know, I, I've talked a little bit about it on the podcast, and this doesn't take away my enjoyment at all. But they've brought mm-hmm. up Judaism a couple of times. I'm Judah Jewish, uh, just in terms of they kind of erased Schindler's List a little bit from the continuity of the world by coming up with Pale Horse, mm-hmm. the movie instead. Uh, and then last episode, they kind of brushed over the fact that John Osterman was Jewish. His father was fleeing Nazi Germany. Right, or the yeah. beginnings yeah. of Nazi Germany. Uh, and that isn't something that I really hit on much. To what you were just saying, Cher, that's why I think it would be really interesting for them to delve more into religion next season yeah. because there's a lot more to say there and there's a lot of issues. Yeah, but yeah. we got to tackle racism first, then oh, we'll okay. get to religion. Right. Okay, you're right. But yeah, but I think like. <laughs> Because, like, think about it. Even earlier in the in the season, you know, there were those letters that were being dropped, mm-hmm. right, from the Nazis to the black soldiers. That was, and that was uh, tie- just a quick question. Uh, that was World War One, actually. It wasn't World War Two. That wasn't Nazis in Germany. That was uh, World War One. Well. They were the pre-Nazi Nazis. <laughs> okay. No, seriously. Yeah. Like they, I mean, think about it. Like they were really the pre-Nazi Nazis mm. because they were. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. Fair I enough. I mean, I could sound like I'm uneducated right now. I'm a little tired. No. But I stand by <laughs> that. It was still, like, right? Like it was still the trying to equate the whole um, you know, our ideology, mm-hmm. which is really the point, our, I, our ideology, you should be on our side because you are not treated much better. Mm-hmm. And world war two, same thing about ideology. So I think if you look at, I mean, every single war that exists at the end of the day, they're, they're pretty much all based on religion and ideology. So I think I think it makes sense for that segue to go about right now this this war that's happening and then it breaking out into something larger and bigger because there's never it's not like listen like there's never just one war happening mm-hmm. at a time. It's like, "Oh, they're the ones fighting the war right now, so we got to wait our turn." Yeah. It's like, "No, there's like <laughs> 
fuck ton of people. Yeah. Like all over the planet. Everybody hates everybody. <laughs> well, to that point, I think there's a possibility that you could do, even do something where there were other things happening while this first season mm-hmm. of Watchmen was happening. Like you do have these wars on multiple fronts. So you could almost have the Ouroboros of the snake eating its own tail where, mm-hmm. yeah, this seemed like the big thing that was going on at the time here in the first season. But meanwhile, over here, this other thing was going on. There's this other big threat, big issue that needed to be dealt with. Um, I do want to get to a couple of other tweets from people before we run out of time. But uh, Mike Fairbanks says it's probably too late, but I have a theory. Not too late, Mike. You did it just in time. Uh, the squids, Wade said they spend 30 seconds of life and all of it dying. They're transported to Earth. What if True is finding a way to send the cavalry to Mars? They'll teleport in and spend 30 seconds dying. Uh, that's a fun theory. I like that idea. If the 7th Cavalry gets transported to Mars. What do you think about that? Yeah. Um, It can happen. Sure. Anything's possible. Why not? Yeah. I mean, seriously, literally anything can happen. <laughs> so if fucking squids can fall from the sky, why not? Yeah. Uh, this is from Rob Rob Robin Along. My guess, I'm not well informed enough to predict, is that Manhattan endowed Angela and Carl's adopted kids with powers before he sent them to safety, and they will figure somehow in the season closer. Uh, we talked about that a little bit. That makes sense. Uh, perhaps the children placed by Dr. Manhattan somewhere to be safe will show up with some of Dr. M's powers and defeat the Calvary. Um, I think that's an interesting idea, but I don't know if I see like super powered children flying around fighting racists. That, mm. do- that doesn't seem yeah. right to me. It would be cool. I don't think that's going to happen, but I do think that all, cause there are a lot of kids mm-hmm. in this season. And I think that it's, that's also kind of setting up for a potential season two. Mm. You know, because think about like the, a lot of the people that are in this season, they're telling the stories of their parents and what they did before them. Mm. So we uh, could potentially finally have Watchmen babies for real. Yeah. yeah. What were you going to say, Pete? I was, uh, you know, speaking of that point there when, you know, uh, Dr. Manhattan ate it and the, he like zapped the kids away to get them out of the area. I was kind of really hoping since they spent a lot of time in one location that lube man last second was going to slide in and punch out that guy who kind of like man the laser, but it didn't happen. Hmm. Well, that gets into Lauren's question is where does lube guy fit in? And I think the answer is he's the final here. Hey, <laughs> anywhere. <laughs> There's your answer, Lauren. I no mean, further. you left yourself open for that, and I just did oh, it again. There you go. <laughs> Phrasing. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if we can top that. We do have yeah. one last tweet that I'll get to. Uh, Daniel Cabral says, Sorry, uh, that might be one of the best that. episodes I've seen on TV. I truly believe Adrian Veidt will save us with John going through time. I'm positive. Adrian knows what's happening in 2019, and Lady True Clock brings Veidt back, and he's already planned for this event five years ago. Um, I agree... I'm pretty convinced that all of this, including Adrian Veidt being sent away, is all part of whatever his plan is. But I'm not convinced that he's going to save anybody, personally. I... He did before. I don't know. I have a feeling he might end up saving Dr. Manhattan. Mm. What what gives you that idea? Do you have any... Just a gut feeling? I, I I don't know. I think there's this weird... I think they kind of need each other to exist. Mm-hmm. 
you know, and not in the way of like Batman and Joker where they're antagonistic, really. I think, I think they are the only ones that, I think there's a mutual respect between the two of them. And I think they're the only ones that understand each other, but also in their own weird way are kind of trying to work towards this greater good. Mm -hmm. If that makes sense. And I think they need each other to accomplish that because I think both of them bring things to the table for that to happen. Mm. You know, it's almost like they're the, uh, they're divorced parents that are working on co-parenting. <laughs> Dr. Manhattan. <laughs> They're trying the conscious uncoupling thing. Yeah, this think, is this is basically a long form version of marriage story. This uh yeah, this yes. whole show. I, I, do, I, I do agree with you. I think that like you know, like uh he's challenged by Dr. Manhattan. Nobody else challenges his intellect. So yeah, there is a kind of like and that, like, the way Dr. Manhattan, like, walked out on him in the comic and kind of, like, left him there with that, you know, thing about time. Like, it's, he's been kind of recovering from that. So I think they do need each other. Yeah, it's it's yeah. interesting to hear you say this, Cher, just having not read the book. Because in the book, Adrian Veidt, and if people, I think readers are split, but he basically, he kills 3 million people with the squid explosion. He sees himself as a hero, but essentially he's the villain of the piece at the same time. But I trust your reading of it more because you are just coming to it as the show. And if you are seeing the show, them as equals, them as people who need each other, I think that makes more sense in the show without whatever happened to the comic book. So that actually seems like a more trustworthy take than whatever dumb take I have from reading the comic. (laughs) But I also want to say this though, like even, but like, think about it. Like he sees himself as a hero, but also this entire time that he's been in this paradise, he's been punishing himself. Mm -hmm. He's in self-imposed purgatory in prison even though, like, you know, Dr. Manhattan didn't put him in prison. He sent him to, you, you know, Utopia. Mm-hmm. And when he was there, he was so miserable that he had to create. Uh, he, it's like it's like somebody that retires that is fucking bored. So they need to find something to do because mm-hmm. they really just they just need to work. And I think that. You know, Adrian is the person that needs to work. And I think that being in paradise is making him miserable, which is why he's created this scenario and the situation and the whole nine. And I think that's that's why he's now in escape. And ultimately, he's trying to get back to Earth because I think he needs he needs to fix he needs to fix, you know, like just like, you know, with the whole with the watches and everything. It's like he needs to fix things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think you're absolutely spot on. Before we wrap up here, share what do you want to plug? Hi. What should people check out of yours? <sighs> Everything. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, obviously, they should check out Fangirls on SciFiWire.com um, and our podcast, Strong Female Characters. And uh, we also, the Churn podcast, which is our post-expanse wrap up podcast is coming back and we have a we have new hosts because i am too busy to host it so anna marie cox is our new host so that's that's very cool i know 
Um, and then I'm finishing a book, which isn't coming out until 2021, but still. Oh, okay. Nice. Well, all time happens at the uh, same time, so yeah. it's out now. Yeah, so time's rel- relative, and I love you know. It. So it's, it's really gonna it's coming out soon. It's coming out in five minutes. <laughs> so definitely check out all of that on our end to plug a couple of things. If you want to connect with us socially, you can do it on Twitter, Watch Room Watch One. Also, Watch Room Watch Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. We will have a recap episode after this episode, as well as one more bonus episode where we talk about potentially looking forward and things. And those will all be in the Watch Room Watch feed. So definitely look forward to all of that. Also, we love getting your feedback on everything. You can support our podcast at patreon.com slash comic book club. Also, we do a live show every Tuesday night at 8 p.m. at the People's Improv Theater Loft in New York. That's totally free. Come on by. We will chat with you about Watchmen. You can subscribe and comment on iTunes, Android, Spotify, Stitcher, or the app of your choice. And remember, we taped this podcast 35 minutes ago. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.